0: If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. All right, well, it's good to be here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. I didn't realize it had been, uh, Sanjay was reminding me it had been two years Seems like it was just yesterday, but that might just be me getting old. But um, anyway, it's, it's a pleasure. It's always a, a pleasure to be able to open God's word and just to visit and uh, fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So I appreciate the opportunity. And if it's all right with everybody, we're going to go ahead and jump into the word. Um, but before we do that, let me pray uh, one more time. Father in heaven, we do ask that as we um, open your word, you would help us to do what we've been singing this whole time. Like We've been singing a lot about your glory. We've been singing a lot about um, worshiping you the way that you uh, deserve to be, the way that you alone deserve to be worshiped. And I ask, Lord, that even as we listen to your word, that that itself would be an act of worship to you. And so give me grace, help me to speak clearly, help me to speak truthfully, and I pray that the proclamation that takes place right now would be a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that everyone in here uh, would have faith that rests in you and in nothing else. I pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. All right, so I got a little bit of a confession up front, and I know that's probably kind of scary, like a pastor about to make a confession, but trust me, like it's, it's, everything's good. Um, I really love the Christmas season, like I love Christmas time and most of the stuff that usually comes with it, but I do have kind of a love-hate relationship with one thing related to Christmas and that's Christmas music. Like no, no lie, like there's a lot, of, we sang some of them this morning, there's a lot of good Christmas hymns, there's even a lot of good um, non-church Christmas music. Um, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but one of my favorite Christmas albums is, Boys to Men had this album called Christmas Interpretations. I still listen to that. I dust it off every once in a while. Um, But on top of that, like right along with that, there's just so much like bad Christmas music. I don't need to tell you, like if you've been in any kind of department store in the mall, what have you. Like, I promise you, if I hear Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you one more time, I'm gonna snap, like, I, and I'm judging from the laughter, I'm not, I'm not the only one. But regardless of how you feel about Christmas music, whether you like Christmas hymns or Christmas classics or a little bit of both, whether you can listen to Christmas music all year long or you can't stand it, uh, we're gonna look at a Christmas song this morning that you won't find on a Spotify playlist and you won't hear bumping in the speakers in the mall. But Jesus tells us that the words of this Christmas song will last forever. Like heaven and earth will pass away before this song does. And so you're in this little series called Four Women and the Savior. And this morning we get to look at the account or part of the account of the woman who gave birth to the Savior, which is incredible. If you think about it, but let me just read this text of scripture real quick, and then we'll jump into it together. So Luke chapter one, and we'll pick up reading at verse 46. This is what God's word says. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her, that's Elizabeth, about three months. Then she returned to her home. So as I said, in in considering four women and a savior, we're looking at the account of Mary, the the mother of Jesus. And and we can become so accustomed to that statement that it, it sort of becomes something that, like it's not that impressive. We're not wowed by the reality of that. But when you take time to actually consider, here's what's going on. Think about it. As the son of God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, always existed. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word what? Was God. But there came a point in time in history where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like that's, that's insane. And, and what's even more insane and incredible is how that came about like it all started with a promise that was made to a virgin that she would conceive and bear a son and so in Matthew's gospel chapter 1 verse 20 and 21 an angel shows up to Joseph who's engaged to be married to Mary and he says to him don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And now in this text that we just read, Luke gives us some of the background, some of of what's going on in and around Mary as she finds out that she's pregnant. And the bottom line of what I want you to see from these verses that we just read is that Christmas is about worship. Like Christmas is about worship. And so even if you've heard this account hundreds of times, I would, I would encourage you, like, don't sleep on what's going on here and how incredible this is. But it starts with something that's, like, very normal, just ordinary stuff, something that, that most of us will find ourselves doing at this at some point during this season, Mary is visiting family. She's hanging out with her cousin Elizabeth. And the reason that she's hanging out with her cousin Elizabeth is because an angel showed up and told her that Elizabeth, who's really old and up to this point hadn't been able to have kids, Elizabeth is pregnant. And so imagine how happy Mary is when she gets word that that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. But Mary's got some exciting news of her own. Like Elizabeth isn't the only one who's going to have a baby. Like Mary also is about to have a baby. And Luke, if you just jump back in this section that we're looking at this morning, Luke chapter one, verse 32 and 33 tells us about this baby that Mary is carrying. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And so Mary's pregnancy is absolutely incredible. Number one, because of who her son is. And number two, because of how this pregnancy takes place. Remember, she's a virgin. Like virgins don't have babies. Like that's not how that works. But an angel shows up to Mary again and, and tells Mary how it is that she's going to conceive. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel of the Lord told Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So imagine Mary and Elizabeth sitting together, like just connecting as, as family members. And then all of a sudden, in Elizabeth's womb, little baby John the Baptist starts jumping for joy. And see, it's, it's not uncommon for babies like really early in utero, in the womb, to, to do things like have the hiccups or, or flip or kick. And I don't need for, for you ladies that have had children, I don't need to tell you that. Like You know that way, way better than, than I do. But what's happening here, this is not normal. By the work of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth knows that Mary is pregnant, and she knows that this baby that Mary is carrying is something special. And, and, and little John the Baptist knows that as well. Even in the womb, take this in. Even in the womb, John the Baptist is already pointing to Jesus. He's already showing us like the, the right way to respond to Jesus with worship and, and joy. And so you got this scene that starts out normal enough, but there's so much going on in this little occasion that lets us know that God is up to something big. God is doing something. He's working in a special way. And it's, no, it's, no, it's, it's pretty obvious that Mary recognizes that. As she's taking in everything that's happened to her, everything that's going on with Elizabeth, it's like she's so overwhelmed with, with thankfulness and joy to the Lord that she just starts singing. See, because thankfulness and worship go together. And and so it's no mistake that one of the indictments against the human race that you see in the scriptures, you find in Romans 1 verse 21. The apostle Paul says, they did not honor God or give thanks to him. But worship and thankfulness go together. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before where your heart is just so full of thankfulness to God that that you just can't help but sing. Even if you can't carry a tune, like you got a song in your heart and it just comes out. Worship and thankfulness are meant to go together. See, worship is, is responding to God appropriately, responding to God the way that we were created to and the way that he alone deserves to be responded to. So listen to how Mary's song starts in verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So, so with everything that she has, Mary is, is giving praise and honor to the Lord. She's magnifying the Lord. She's proclaiming his greatness, making a big deal about him. And see, the reality is every single person on this planet, including all of us in this room, like we make a big deal about things like all of us will magnify something. And, and by nature, as, as Paul pointed out. And the scriptures point out in numerous places, by nature, our tendency is to, to make a big deal about things that are not God. And, and that's worship, right? We, w- we might not use that language, but that's what it is. That's exactly what we're doing. But Mary's worship is pointed in the right direction. It's directed to the God of heaven and earth, the one who sustains her and everything in it, the earth and everything in it belongs to him, Psalms 24 says. And notice how it's personal for Mary. Like we'll see from the rest of this song that Mary is well aware of God's goodness to to all of God's, all of his people. But here, she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. Like Mary knows that she has a need that only God can meet. She sees herself as as a woman who is desperately in need of something that only God can provide. And see, unlike what some people teach, I don't know, maybe you come from a Catholic tradition and it's not the only place you see this sort of thing, but you hear this language of referring to Mary as as the queen of heaven, or or Mary is often put forward as a a co-redeemer right alongside Jesus, but she's not. And she knows that. She recognizes that she is a sinner who has a desperate need for a savior. And in that desperation, where does she look? She looks to God and and the same hope and and mercy and, and joy and comfort that she finds in looking to the Lord is available to all who would look to him, to everyone who would recognize their desperate need of him. You too can find mercy and forgiveness that he offers so Mary knew she didn't deserve anything good from God. She knew that everything that she had was because of his grace. But see, naturally, our tendency is to feel entitled. Like it's funny how each, with each successive generation, we like to look back at the generation prior and say, oh, they're so entitled. Like they feel like everybody owes them something. But the, the reality is like the temptation for us to do that even as believers, it's strong. Like to assume that, that God owes us when the reality is God doesn't owe us anything good, right? He would be well within his rights to condemn all of us for eternity. But, but we're so prone to have this sense of entitlement, like, oh, God owes me this. It's like, it's like when you were a kid on Christmas Eve or just leading up to Christmas period, right? It's all about me. What did you get me? What did I get? And you can poke fun at the kids and say, ah, like, ah, shame on them. But again, how many of us as adults don't really grow out of that sort of thing when it comes to God? Like we, we come to him. What about me, me, me? What are you going to do for me? But Mary, on the other hand, is grateful and she's humble. She starts to explain a little bit of why it is that she's so full of worship towards God. In verse 48, she says, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Mary can't believe that the God of the universe pays attention to her, cares about her. Like little old Mary, this, this poor, Teenage girl from a working class family in a nowhere town. God cares about her. And that, that's an like, let that be an encouragement to you, brothers and sisters. Like, God, you see this all over the scriptures. God cares about people that the world is, is prone to just pass over and, and write off. Like, God cares about people like that. And so there's hope for people like that. There's hope for people like us. And God cares, pays attention to people like that, not just because, oh, he's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He cares because it's in his nature to give of himself for the benefit of others. And you know what else? God loves to use the weak and the despised He loves to use the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And why does he do that? So that nobody can boast in his presence. So that he alone gets the glory. And so Mary is amazed that the Lord pays attention to him. She calls out to him. Calls him God, my savior. And then in the rest of verse 48, Mary says something that kind of seems like a contradiction. She says, surely from now on, all generations shall call me blessed, which kind of sounds like Mary is full of herself, right? She's feeling pretty good. All generations, they're going to talk about, they're going to remember me. But that's not what's happening. Like Mary understands that the reason that she is blessed, the only reason that she will be considered blessed is because of what God has done for her. And that's what she responds to in verse 49. All generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. And so what God promised to Mary that she's going to give birth to this, this son who is going to be the savior of the world is is incredible. Not just because of how gracious it is and God even paying attention to her at, at all, but it's Incredible, because it's humanly impossible. It's humanly impossible. And Mary knows that. And yet she still takes God at his word. She takes him at his word and she responds with faith because she knows that God is faithful. God is not a man that he should lie. What he says he's going to do, you can bet he's going to do it. And think about that whole business of God saying to Mary, promising to Mary something that's humanly impossible. Like, isn't that how God works in salvation? Does he not do what is humanly impossible when it comes to salvation? Like, with us, it's impossible. Like, we can't save ourselves. Anybody in here that can change their own heart? Anybody in here that can, that can make themselves perfectly righteous in the sight of God? We can't, but what is impossible with God or impossible with us, rather, is possible. It's cake to God. It's easy. He does it. No problem. Nobody can make their heart pure, clean enough to stand before the mighty one whose name is holy. We don't stand a chance, but thankfully, God in his faithfulness has provided a way for us to be made right with him. And and it's all through this little baby that Mary is carrying in her womb. Notice how Mary talks about being blessed and, and all these good things that the Lord has done for her. But as far as her immediate circumstances, we have no indication that anything has changed other than the fact that she's all of a sudden pregnant. Like nothing about her has changed. She's still poor. She's still living in the middle of nowhere. Her people are still being occupied by the Roman empire. And now on top of that, she's pregnant, which she knows that's a miracle. And we know that, but to everybody else, it just kind of looks like, oh, Mary's one of those type of girls. And so she now has that on top of everything else that's going on around her and yet, her heart is still full of worship to the Lord, even though her circumstances don't change. And the reason that she's able to do that, the reason that Mary has a heart full of worship to the Lord is because she knew, not only had God done great things for her in the past, but she knew that that same God was faithful to never leave her or forsake her. That no matter what it is that she encountered, like she would not face it alone. The God of the universe, was with her but not only that mary knew that her unborn son was god's only begotten son his his unique son the one who would come and not only take away her sins but the sins of the world and so let me let me ask you something this morning like this christmas season and all year long for that matter like will you worship the lord even if your circumstances don't necessarily work out the way you want them to or will your your joy and your ability to worship be be contingent on how things are going like this this christmas season with all the craziness that that often comes with it will you allow those things all those things that are fighting for your affection and for your attention will you allow that to distract you from What's most important or will you worship God and give him the honor and glory that he deserves? Do you see yourself as, as blessed? Even if people were to look at your circumstances and by their assessment, it doesn't really look like it. Mary worships God for the mercy and grace that he has shown her, but she also worships God for his goodness to other people. So look at verse verse 50. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so one thing that this reminds us is that the Lord God almighty is, is faithful and that does not change. So there's, there's, People from every generation who experience his mercy. In fact, if you're thinking about life right, every single person on this planet experiences the mercy of God. Every day that we set foot on this planet and don't drop dead is is a gift from God. Like his, his mercy is being extended. He is good to all that he has made, the Psalms say. But his mercy is especially shown to people who fear him who honor him, take him seriously, take seriously what he commands and and by his grace seek to live in light of his word. But think about it. Does the thought of God showing mercy to other people fill your heart with joy? Like on on days like today, when when you're gathered together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, are you coming in just just focused on God's goodness, which which you should be, but are you exclusively thinking like God's goodness to me, or does God's goodness to those around you, does that drive you to worship him? Because it should. It should. Worship is not a, like when you get together, it's, there's a reason it's called, we refer to it as corporate worship. Like it's, we're together, corporately. And and I love reminding myself and reminding the folks at, at our home church that it's, it's not me and God. Like it's us, right? Like we're commanded to, Sing to one another, not just to the Lord, sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, make a melody to the Lord in our hearts. Like there's, there's, there's this encouragement, this mutual encouragement that's intended to happen when we get together and worship the Lord. How encouraging is it to know that our God never gets tired of showing mercy? Have you ever had a, a friend or a family member that just, it just seems like they're doing everything they can to just, like, take, they take my kindness for weakness. It's just like I'm helping them over and over, and you just get tired. Or you're dealing with your kids, and you've, how many times I've corrected you about this particular thing, how many times, and you just get tired. Praise God, he doesn't get like that with us. He never gets tired of showing us Mercy, but he's not just full of mercy, he is all powerful. Look at verse 51. He has done a mighty deed with his arm, he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. And I love that language. You see this language, that language of God doing a mighty deed with his arm. That's that's throwback to the book of Exodus where the Lord promises that he's going to deliver his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God is about to flex on what was then the most powerful nation in the known world. And he's like, I'm going to show you like what power is. And sure enough, that's what he does. He rescues his people. He redeems his people from slavery in Egypt. But here, Mary is looking forward to an even greater redemption, to an even greater rescue. And and she talks about it. She's so confident that it's going to happen. She talks about it as if it's already done, like in the past tense. And this redemption that she's looking forward to is tied up in this little baby that's in her womb. Jesus coming into the world was God's way of letting everybody know that he is mighty to save. We often talk about Jesus being the demonstration of God's love for us, and rightly so, like that's biblical. But in, in sending Jesus into the world, God is already is also putting everybody on notice. Like I'm I am mighty to save but he does it in a way that looks ridiculous and weak. And so he makes a whole bunch of promises in the Old Testament. It seems like forever, okay, this is never going to happen. The prophets are looking for it. The people are looking for it. It never seems to come to pass. Then all of a sudden there's 400 years of silence. Like no written word, no word from the prophets. But then when God gets good and ready, here's how he continues his plan of salvation. You started it on last week with an old lady named Elizabeth. And on this week with a young lady, teenage virgin named Mary. And you know what they had in common? Aside from being people that the world would have just written off, they were both described as righteous which doesn't mean that they were perfect by any stretch of the imagination but what it does mean is that they they trusted the Lord they depended on him and what would happen is that Mary's son John would point the way to Or Elizabeth's son, John, rather, would point the way to Mary's son, Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. The one who came not only to deal with Mary's sins or the sins of the people of of Israel, but the sins of the whole world. And so there's a reason why when John sees him coming in the wilderness, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who would fulfill all of God's commands and be nailed to a cross in the place of sinners, something that looks foolish and weak, but it's the greatest display of God's power and his wisdom, and yes, it's the greatest display of his love. In the coming of this little baby, there's this great reversal that's happening. You can see that in verse 52 and 53. Notice what it says. It says, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, let's be honest. I'm not sure how things, other than the Roman occupation, how things were in Mary's day. But if you look around at what's going on in our world today, like what Mary starts to sing about doesn't sound anything like the world that we live in. It doesn't sound at all like what's going on. That God has done all of these things, that He's sent the rich away empty, that He has satisfied the hungry with good things, He's toppled the mighty from their throne and exalted the lowly. But see, brothers and sisters, we have to see what is promised about God here the same way that we are to see all of life. We're to walk by faith. And not by sight right so we take God at his word even when his word and and what we see going on around us don't seem to square up but the tendency for us at times or the temptation at least is to say okay ah like if this doesn't match if what's going on around me doesn't match what God says that must mean that that God isn't faithful to his promises but, but I would encourage you, resist that temptation to believe that. Remember, God is faithful. He always keeps his word, and he would definitely keep his people no matter what happens. But this is also a reminder to us that there is a day coming when God will set everything right. Everything that is presently wrong with this world won't be that way forever. There's coming a day when God will set everything right. And then notice what the last few verses say, starting at verse 54. Mary says, he has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. And so as an Israelite woman, Mary can't help but think about God's goodness to her people corporately, not just throughout history, but specifically his goodness to the people of Israel through what was happening to her and in the coming of the savior, this long awaited king that she was carrying. But again, this blessing is not just for Mary. It's not just for Israel. This blessing is, is for the world. Through the coming of Jesus, God is fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham to bless the whole world through his offspring. And brothers and sisters, you and I are like beneficiaries of that. We are proof of God keeping his promises. Any, any Israelites in here? Like we are, we, those of us who are believers in Christ are fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Galatians chapter three, verse seven. The apostle Paul says, those who have faith are children of Abraham. And so anyone who, who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this grand promise that God has made to save a people for himself, we can, can be restored to a right relationship with God. We too can join Mary in, in giving God the worship and the honor that he, has, he deserves for what he has done. And so this song that Mary sings shows us the most appropriate way to respond to a faithful God. And that's with worship and joy. Of all people who ought to respond to God that way, it should be those who have experienced his kindness and his grace and his faithfulness. So this Christmas, we started off with Oh come, all ye faithful. Oh come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's not just sing that. But as we're reminded of God's faithfulness to us and like individually and to us corporately, like let, let us do everything that we do as an act of worship to the one who is faithful, even when we are faithless, because he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your promise that you have made to save a people for your own possession. And we thank you, Lord, that you have done that in such a way that you have accomplished what is humanly impossible, what we could never do. And you've done it in such a way that you alone deserve glory. And so in the coming weeks and months, Lord, help us Um, like Mary, when she thought of all of these great things that you had done for her, when she treasured those things in her heart, I pray that we would treasure up all of the great things that you have done for us, and that as a result, we would not only sing in worship to you, but that our whole lives would be an act of worship to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.